Thank you for the beauty of your word and uh, the power of your word. And Lord, mostly we ask that we would be obedient to your word. And um, so today, Lord, I ask by your spirit that you would be with us as we study and uh, apply and um, just commit to the truths of your word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. This morning we are uh, continuing uh, in a, a study of the, the heart of uh, the person of the kingdom. The kingdom heart. And uh, in verse 20 of chapter 5, Jesus told <clears throat> the people gathered that they needed to have a righteousness that was greater than the Pharisees. Um, and so from verse 21 through to the end of chapter 5, Jesus is explaining what that looks like. And he is going uh, deep into the heart of the matter. He is looking at the heart. He is looking at uh, six subjects that relate to what's going on in our hearts. And he is outlining the prevalent teaching of the Pharisees. And he is reinterpreting uh, the, the, the Bible, as far as the Old Testament is concerned, uh, on these topics and giving them the interpretation of the Messiah, which is the greater righteousness. And it boils down to a changed heart. It boils down to his desire to work from the inside out and to change uh, our hearts. Last week, uh, Lewis was uh, speaking about uh, the first pair of subjects, anger and lust. And uh, as he uh, was speaking, he used the word heart transplant, the term heart transplant a few times. And it knocked on my spirit in an interesting way because I was brought to a very powerful early memory in my life. On December 3rd, 1967... Dr. Christian Barnard and a team of surgeons uh, in Cape Town, South Africa, made uh, the first successful heart transplant. I was a 10-year-old boy. My grandfather had just died of heart disease, and I was totally consumed in my imagination with the idea that the heart of a 25-year-old woman named Denise Darval could be put into the body of a 53-year-old man, Louis Washansky. And as the news came out that morning, I, I was electrified. I thought, oh my gosh, that is so awesome. And at the time, I was a geek for uh, the, the space program, um, what God was uh, uh, revealing in, in, in the sciences. Uh, but this really captured my imagination. Imagine somebody getting a heart from somebody who had died and getting a brand new heart and getting a new lease on life because of the death of someone else. Does that sound like a story that you can connect to as we look at this cross behind me? That we can actually get a transformed heart by being given that heart by one who died for us. And Later on, uh, last week, uh, I went and saw a film uh, called Unbroken, and uh, it was the journey of a man named 
Louis, Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was a, a, a U.S. Olympic athlete in the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin. He was a prisoner of war, uh, uh, treated ferociously and awfully by the Japanese. Uh, he came home. He was a hero. He married uh, the girl of his dreams. And the post-traumatic stress from the time in prison in Japan uh, overran him and overran his marriage. And he became uh, a loud, angry, alcoholic mess. And uh, one night in 1949, he walked into a tent where Billy Graham was speaking about the glory of Jesus Christ and the ability of Jesus Christ to change the human heart. And he came forward and uh, surrendered his life to Jesus that night. And instantly, instantly, his heart was changed and he began uh, what would be uh, a five-decade journey of being an evangelist and a spokesperson for Jesus Christ. And he had been uh, one of these guys that was like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps until he met the living Christ. And so whether it is, uh, you know, a person we might know a lot about, or uh, I'm, I know that there are many stories in this room right now where Jesus has transformed our hearts. And so as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand that he is laying out... Um, what he expects will happen when someone fully is devoted to him. And he will subsequently reveal that this will be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. But right now, in these words, he's painting a picture of the kingdom heart. And Jesus has all that we need to bring the words that we've just read to pass. He has all that we need to bring the words that we just read to pass. And I want to look at that text this morning with that in mind. Let's be reminded uh, from Dallas Willard what exactly uh, Jesus is doing here. Uh, He says uh, that there is, in fact, no body of moral knowledge now operative in the institutions of knowledge in our culture. We've looked at this before. This is the outcome of a centuries-long effort to develop a moral guide to life within a framework of human thought and experience alone, unassisted by revelation. By contrast, the teaching about moral goodness that derives from the principles laid down by Jesus does have a historical, theoretical, and practical claim to constitute the true body of moral knowledge. And it is with regard to this issue of what kind of people we are to be that the teachings of Jesus about the rightness of the kingdom heart show him to be the unrivaled master of human life. So what we're hearing now is we're not just hearing uh, a loftier uh, standard coming from the law, but we're actually hearing the master of human life describing what will take place as those of a kingdom heart are transformed and infused with the love of Jesus Christ, the power of his Holy Spirit, 
uh, under, uh, under the lordship of the Father. And this is, this is what he's painting a picture of. So, as we saw last week, the kingdom heart from verses 21 to 48 of chapter 5, we're seeing a contrast between the righteousness that the Pharisees were trying to teach and the, rightness, the righteousness that Jesus gives in his kingdom by grace that we receive through faith. So we looked at the first pair last week uh, in, in our community that there would be no murder versus love and no contempt and lust, no intercourse versus which was the Pharisee standard, but Jesus' standard, the kingdom standard, is no cultivation of lust. And we talked at, at length, Jesus talked about being at the altar and getting right with your neighbor and dealing with things of anger in your heart before they consume you, before they overrun you. Uh, and so uh, this, this message last week was powerful in that it brought us to the fact of we've got to be right with each other. We've got to be right with each other. And we've got to cultivate a mind and body and soul of purity uh, before the Lord and before one another. Uh, at the Connect Desk, you, you can find, if you want more on getting right with your neighbor, we have a social covenant here. It is a covenant that came out of our study of the commands of Jesus in how to be made right with people. I don't know about you, but after last week's message, uh, the Lord prompted me and someone I was not right with, and uh, I was able to call them, uh, tell them what I had said that was not right, not appropriate, asked them for forgiveness, told them that I would not do that again, and uh, please keep me accountable to this going forward in our relationship. Um, the kingdom is about taking those things that are inside and bringing them through to cleanliness and righteousness through Christ. So the MCC Social Covenant I commend to you, if uh, you've not heard of that, if you're newer with us and we haven't covered it before, please get that at the Connect Desk and uh, just want to encourage you in that. Today, we're going to move on to the, the second pair uh, of things that Jesus wants to talk about to illustrate what this kingdom heart is like. And uh, the first topic is marriage and divorce and uh, unfaithfulness in divorce. And uh, he's coming from a culture where it was no-fault divorce, pink-slip divorce. You can describe it any way you like. And he obviously comes from a place of no divorce. And he talks a little bit about that. And then he goes on to honesty and honesty with the tongue. And he talks about oaths and vows. And uh, he talks about instead we should have zero oaths and vows and manipulation and just speak yes or no from the heart. So that's our topic today and we're going we're gonna to dive into that. I, I just want to say though, is there anybody else who had an I will statement from last week that they, that they acted on that they would like to share? From last week's message. Yes, Anna. 
Let me get you a mic. Sorry. I just couldn't find it. Um, I'm Anna McMillan. This is not from last week, but from two weeks ago. Okay. Um, Great. When we talked about being light and salt hmm. and not keeping your faith private. Um, I'm a doctor and I work in the emergency room and I have been in the past few years struggling with how God wants me to be interacting with people in that situation and feeling as though I ought to be speaking out more for people who are in difficult situations clearly when they come to see me than I have been. And a couple of weeks ago we had a really busy day in the emergency room to the point that we had we were putting beds up against the hallways. We didn't have rooms for everybody. Um, mm. And there was a young woman who came in, and her chief complaint was anxiety. And sometimes, when I'm taking care of patients who have horrible diseases and need to go to surgery and heart attacks and things like that, when someone comes in and they're saying, like, I'm, I'm anxious and I want you to fix me, mm. it's difficult and it's frustrating. But I went up to see her, and she was in one of those hallway beds, and she started telling me her story about how she had been under a lot of stress, and she was dealing with a small child, and her work was very difficult. And I just pulled up a chair, and I sat with her, and I listened. And when she had finished, and it was clear that really she just needed support, and I wasn't exactly sure how to start, but I asked her, do you have community to have people because I, I don't want to be pushy I'm mm -hmm. sort of in a position of power in mm -hmm. that situation when I'm the doctor and someone in the emergency room mm. and so I just asked her do you do you have a community and she said yeah I have a church but I haven't been talking to anybody because and she used the words I don't want to poison them with my problems mm. and and I knew that 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 was what God needed me to address. And so, <clears throat> it was funny because just previously, the very first sermon that we had had on the Beatitudes was about how Jesus was saying to all of the broken and minimalized people in the world, this is for you. And I, I told her, I was like, our pastor just gave this sermon and talked about the fact that, you know, church, church is not where you come when you're perfect. Church is where you come when you're broken so that God can fix you, so that people around you can help build you up. Um, and I spent the next few minutes encouraging her to, to reach out to her church, to talk to her pastor, to let the people who had been her community back into her life instead of pushing them away so that they could help her through this difficult time. And I wrote her a work note to be off for the next few days, and I said, on the condition that... You take these next few days and you call people and you get together with people and you tell them what's going on hmm. and you let them support you and build you up. Amen. Beautiful. 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 That's a fantastic application. Thank you, Anna. So, um, and, and again, you know, we, we, we're here... Uh, uh, I want to encourage us in the text that we've opened up this morning, at the same time, to be able to put it into practice. It takes it from something 
I have come up with on my study and my preparation, and it turns it into something that lasts you for the rest of your lives. Because it's your, your experience of God's revelation in, in the text. So, uh, let's open up on uh, Jesus on divorce, verses um, 31 to uh, 32. Um, what is Jesus saying? You can just shout it out. Don't, okay. Don't divorce. What, what else is he saying? What happens when you do divorce? What happens to your partner? They, they become a victim of adultery. There's an exception there. What's the exception? Infidelity. Inf- sexual infidelity or sexual immorality. Which makes sense, right? Because if that person has been sexually immoral, they're already in adultery. Right? So, uh, that's, that's the exception is, well, if someone else has already done it, they're already in adultery. Then what does he go on to say? Don't marry someone who's divorced, right? Because that also is what? Exactly. So it's very brief. He doesn't speak very long on this. If you notice of the six pair, the six items that he's talking about, community, lust, divorce, um, oaths, uh, retaliation, and... and uh, how we handle our enemies, this is the only one where he doesn't provide additional instruction. This is the only one where he doesn't go on to explain, so this is what you got to do about this. Now, of course, he does so a little bit elsewhere. So let's, let's look at that. Uh, in chapter 19, he comes back to the subject. He says pretty much the same thing, but he now adds a little bit of understanding as to why. He says in uh, verses 4 to 6 of chapter 19, Haven't you read, he replied, that, the beginning, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female, he's, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what do you think, what do you think he's trying to... What do you think he's trying to communicate here? What do you think's the main idea there? Yeah, there there's a covenant. Um, okay, what else do you see? Okay, so he's going back to the created order and he's describing not so much what could be allowed and what could be managed on the earth here, but what was the original concept? What was the original design? And what happens when uh, this man and this woman are joined together? What, what, what happens to them? They become one flesh, 
right? So something new is being created in the middle of that union. And Jesus, I believe, deeply understands the consequences of taking apart what God put together. Malachi says that every marriage has, in a way, I don't understand, even unbelievers' marriages have uh, a, a portion of the Spirit put on them. So what he has put together, don't take apart. In other words, I think he understands deeply the consequences of when you have, when you have a marriage that, that doesn't last, when the marriage bond is broken, when, when those things happen, that consequences ensue of the structure of that bond, the structure of that unity, the structure of that family that proceeds and continues through the generations. So he, he deeply understands that the original design, what was intended, is what we've got to keep in mind. Because our tendency would be to talk about what what we have, to, what what can we what can we do what can we do other than that? And he's bringing us back to the basics. But he goes on and he says uh, something else. He says a cause. He he under, underscores the cause in verse eight. He says this. Jesus replied, and they're asking him. Well, Moses told us we could we could divorce. So Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So what condition is he talking about? Hardness of heart, right? He's talking about a condition that goes on. It could be lack of forgiveness. It could be contempt. For the marital partner, it could be complaining about the marital partner. It could be that uh, he's talking about that time when someone in the marriage was hurt, but they were too afraid to bring it up. They were too afraid to speak up in the truth. They were too afraid to confront the conflict. And so rather than confronting the conflict, rather than bringing it into the light, they let it stew and fester where it becomes, where it becomes resentment or it becomes bitterness or both. And so a little, a little weed grows in the heart and then that weed spreads its roots deeper into the heart and then that heart starts to get a little calloused. And then the next thing you know, that heart is hard. See, Jesus understands the human heart. He understands that we, we need, per, per the social covenant I just talked about, we need, to bring, we need to bring things to one another when there's sin involved, when there's uh, a breaking of, of trust, when there's a, a hurt that is, that is generated, we're all sinners. We're all going to, marriage is a contact sport. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. We're going to come into these places. And if we don't deal with these things, if we let them go, if we 
if we push on and we don't stop and look each other in the eye as man and wife and deal with the issues that we're experiencing, then we're going to have a hard heart. And no divorce happened overnight. You know, they went, there was a process. There was a process that, that went and somehow did not get resolved. And look at the brilliance of Jesus in the way he orders this message. Because he started with anger and then he went to lust. And I can't tell you how many couples I've spoken to who will say, if I knew Christ, if I had an understanding of uh, the kingdom heart about anger, if I had an understanding about the damage of lust, my marriage would have worked out differently. And so he's ordering these topics in, in very clear sequence. And he is bringing to our attention even today that if there's been a divorce, uh, the cross covers that. If there's shame and guilt about that, that even still remains this morning in ministry time, we're going to ask Jesus to heal that. If there's hard-heartedness creeping into your marriage, um, we're going to ask Jesus to heal that this morning. It comes with repentance and forgiveness. It comes with letting go of the hurt, bringing the hurt up, dealing with it, forgiving it, and letting it go. It is the very same process that all of these subjects take. But it's this morning, I, I believe Jesus wants to move on our marriages and wants to set us free, wants to bring the, bring the kingdom heart into each and every person here this morning. So I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the message in a few minutes to, to deal with that. But hopefully you're reading ahead in these messages and you're underlining it in, in, in your study guide. If you don't have a study guide, you can get one at the, at the Connect desk. But what would be an application of, of what Jesus is saying this morning? How would you internalize what, what Jesus is saying this morning? What would, you, what would you be led to, if anybody would like to share, uh, in response to Jesus, I, an I will statement? How will this affect you today, this week? Anybody want to share? Yeah. All right. So I, I will confess, right, any, any ill will that I have to my wife this week. Anybody else? Recommit every day to be one flesh. Recommit every day to be one flesh with your wife. Amen? Anybody else? I will learn so uh, I will learn to deal with conflict in other relationships. Amen.
to prepare you for that wonderful day. Yes. <laughs> and then... <laughs> All right. You know, for me, I think uh, this, this text has re, re, resharpened um, my desire to, um, to, to, be, to be an example of, of what Jesus teaches, to teach. Uh, you know, the elders here really have, uh, have seen this subject as a, a calling, uh, maybe perhaps a unique calling for our congregation. Um, if you haven't been around in the past few years as this topic has come up, uh, we've done a, a study on it and um, on, on marriage and divorce and remarriage, and we have a copy of that at the Connect Desk if you are interested in pursuing that further. But it is, uh, it is uh, wanting to be uh, uh, the husband in a marriage that uh, brings to, to life the grace and the, and the truth of Jesus' calling to us as husbands and wives. All right, Um, anything else on that? Anybody else want to say anything? Yeah. I will uh, lay my life down for my wife like Jesus says he does, as Jesus does for the church. Excellent, excellent. And I know you've been doing that and it's your anniversary today, isn't it? All right, happy anniversary, dude. Happy anniversary. Well, let's switch topics. Let's take topic number two for this morning, Jesus on oaths and vows. What is he, uh, what is he saying here in, in, in verses uh, 33 to 37? So the Pharisees are obviously big on oaths and they have lots of fanfare about their oaths. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to do that. What what does he want us to do? Let our yes be yes and no be no. All right. Anybody else? It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Right? But... He doesn't want us to add other things. Well, the only time that you take your yes and no seriously is when you make a big deal about making an oath. And what are you doing the other times that you say yes or no? All right. So if the only time you're taking it seriously is when you make a big deal about something, what happens to the rest of your life when you're saying yes or no? Now, this is an interesting topic because... There are many, many times where uh, I, have, I have said yes and I haven't done it. Or I've said, uh, I've been unwilling to say no. I don't want to disappoint somebody. And over the years, I've been reminded that, uh, you know, that's normally fear of man. If I don't feel comfortable saying no to someone who's inviting me to something, or if I'm feeling an obligation all the time, then I'm not free. I'm not free to say yes or no. Do you know that it's okay to say no? It's okay to say no. We're not infinite beings. We can't be everywhere at every time. 
We can't. But what we tend to do with our yeses and our noes is we're managing our image and reputation. We're managing, well, I'm a pastor. I got invited to such and such a thing. I should go, but I, I can't go. And they're, they're just, over time, it's just become really clear to me I need to be able to say no. And that my no be no and my yes be yes. There's so many times that whether it's at work or with a neighbor or social engagements or even in our relationships. I learned a a really good application of this scripture yesterday. Uh, My son and his wife hosted a parenting uh, training at their home. And uh, this text that we've we've read this morning was brought up in the context of how we parent. And if our child asks us something and we say no, and then they whine and whine and whine and whine, and three minutes later we're saying yes, then our no is not no, and then we are, we are, we are stuck. We are totally stuck. So, amen, right? So... When, when we look at the parenting challenge, our yes has to be yes, our no has to be no. And so we have to be willing to train and stand the limit and hold the limit of whatever we've felt in our judgment as parents deserve to know. And even when our children protest that limit, we need to be able to stand firm, which means we need to be on the same page with our spouse, doesn't it? Now it comes back to that. But if there's strife in the marriage, if there's hard-heartedness in the marriage, you see the structure of this sermon and the topics he's handling and the, the course of how he's handling them and ordering them, how it is a domino effect through our life if our heart's not right. Jesus uh, Words reminded me of uh, times that I've been on uh, jury duty and this picture of the president taking the oath of office. Um, The Bible that he's got his hand on is actually not required. It's actually uh, a figment of uh, pomp and circumstance and, uh, uh, and historical practice. But actually, if, if you're a believer and you want to put this text into practice and you go in jury duty and they, uh, there's, a, there's an oath, there's a simpler oath of affirmation that you can take. Just say, I'm going to tell the truth. Period. So, you want me to use the handheld? We're good? Okay. So, you don't have to put your hand in the Bible. But here's what Jesus' little brother, little stepbrother said. Uh, James 5.12. Notice it starts with above all. Above all, my brothers and sisters. This, this is after four and a half chapters of pretty strong stuff from James. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. So, what would be an I will statement for this part of this part of the text this morning? 
Anybody want to share? Yeah. Be simple with your speech. Amen. Okay. Amen. So never having to say the words I promise. All right? Excellent. Well, we're going to close this morning because as we look at these things, they're extremely challenging. They're extremely challenging. And we can't get there by human willpower. Jesus has the power to transform us. It's, it's the gospel. It's the fact that we trust Him and we let Him live His life through us that we can receive this kind of kingdom heart. He will do the transplant for us. Hebrews chapter 13 says it in a nice way. Uh, he says, May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to Him. God actually does the production. God actually produces the fruit that is inside of us. He is the one who actually changes our hearts. In the first, uh, 13th chapter of the First Corinthians, Paul says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is not a marriage text. This is a text about getting along in the church despite the presence of complicated spiritual gifts and all kinds of people doing different things. It is, it is a text about loving one another, about getting along with one another. It's a text that ultimately uh, you, you can substitute the word Jesus for the word love there because it's His love, it's God's love that does these things. And so Dallas Willard would say it this way, Paul is plainly saying that it is love that does all these things, not us, and that what we are to do is to pursue love. As we catch love, we then find that these things are, after all, actually being done by us. These godly actions and behaviors are the result of dwelling in love. We have become the kind of person who is patient, kind, free of jealousy, and so on. Paul's message is exactly the same as Jesus' message. We've got to let the love of Christ dwell in us richly so we can actually be the kind of people that will do the things that Jesus is speaking about from the heart. And this is the promise of the transformation. So the worship team is going to come up and we're going to spend the last 10 minutes of our service dwelling with Christ, dwelling in the love of Christ. We're going we're gonna to just let His presence wash over us. We're going to worship Him and we're going to allow Him to change our hearts from the inside out. And we can do this by confessing by repenting, by forgiving. And maybe 
for the first time, you understand that Jesus is inviting us uh, to, to be transformed by him uh, into the kind of person he created us to be and that he alone has the power to forgive our sin and change us. If that's your desire this morning, I, pre- I just pray that you go to our prayer teams this morning and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow this amazing man who knows my heart inside out. And I want to be changed and transformed into his image uh, every day for the rest of my life. If that's your heart's desire, that is, that is discipleship. That is what following Christ means. Then go and receive prayer and let us help you get started on that journey towards Christ. If this morning you have left over shame and guilt over a divorce... Uh, that has not quite been sorted out in your life, I pray that you'd come forward and receive the forgiveness of Christ, receive the blessing of Christ, uh, and that you would not one day ever look back on that, but instead would look forward and to be the person with the heart that can finish strong as a lover and as a man or woman of God. If you are married and you have some hard-heartedness creeping into your relationship, I implore you now in Jesus' name to forgive, to confess, to forgive, and to uh, let go of that and ask God for a soft heart this morning. And finally, if you're here and you have trouble with your tongue, and you're saying things you don't mean and you're saying no when you mean yes or yes when you mean no, um, ask God to transform your heart because it's out of the heart that things come out of, off our tongues. So Father, uh, we, we ask for heart transformation this morning. We trust you for that. We thank you for your amazing grace. So... Come, Holy Spirit, touch the people this morning and make us whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer teams, you can come on up.